my name is Nicole Sparaza. I'm a solo practitioner in the Denver metro area, and I'm honored to be your host for this limited series podcast in honor of Asian American Pacific Islander Month. As a quick roadmap, we'll be using some abbreviations throughout this podcast, one of which is APABA Colorado, which stands for the Asian Pacific American Bar Association of Colorado, as well as SABACO, which is the South Asian Bar Association of Colorado. We will also be using other short terms such as APALSA, which is the Asian Pacific American Law Students Association, APDC, which is the Asian Pacific Development Center, and we will also be using other terms such as APA, which stands for Asian Pacific American, AAPI, or API, which is Asian American Pacific Islander, and BIOPIC, which is Black Indigenous People of Color. Today I have with me Ann Lee, who is the immediate past president of APABA Colorado and currently works as a practicing attorney at the Attorney General's office. Anne, thanks for taking the time out to come sit with me. Thank you, Nicole. I'm so glad that you invited me to join your podcast today. You are one of my favorite people, and I am so thrilled to be here chatting with you. Well, that sentiment goes both ways. So, and you and I actually go back quite a bit. We were just talking. I think it's been over 10 years that we've known each other. I think it has back in um, law school days. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a while. And I'm excited to kind of have this conversation with you about not just Apaba, Colorado, and kind of what that looked like this past year during the pandemic, but also just for our listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit. So... Tell me about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, First, I'm thrilled to be here in person, socially distanced. It's been a while since we've been able to be out and talk with people. So this is really exciting. But a little bit about myself. Started out, my undergraduate degree is actually in mechanical engineering. Right after college, I worked at Ford Motor Company as a product design engineer. And did that for a while while studying for um, my MBA at the University of Michigan. When I graduated, um, my sister lived in Colorado and I fell in love with Colorado. So I knew I wanted to move out here after graduating um, with my MBA. So I took an opportunity and became a product marketing manager at Hewlett Packard Company for a number of years. Um, Worked on digital products, um, digital scanners and digital cameras and so forth. Even did a two year stint in Germany what? Yes, I lived in. Uh, so my husband and I, we got married and moved to Germany within, we got married in June. And in July, we moved to Germany for two years. And that was so much fun. I want to talk about that a little bit more because I had no idea. <laughs> We've known each other for this long. And I had no idea that you had this other career before law. I mean, I knew that law was your second path, but I didn't necessarily know what you did before that. And I had no idea that you spent a couple of years as an expat. So I did. It was a a two year honeymoon, basically, where we got to not only learn and um, learn the German culture, but also travel around Europe, including attending the 2004 Athens Olympics, which was an amazing experience. Did you do a lot of traveling while you were in Germany within Europe? I hear that it's pretty accessible. Yeah. So they have um, back then, um, you know, easy flights that you could get. Mm -hmm. um, And we would just hop over to Rome for a weekend or Barcelona or Madrid. So it was so much fun. And we got a lot of travel a lot of traveling in. That sounds incredible. (laughs) One of my bucket list items actually is to see the Kris Kringle market. Germany has amazing um, 
little wooden ornaments and um, and uh, nutcrackers and um, little uh, Raushan men, like little smokers. That, mm. that, um, but it's so much fun. The environment is amazing. I, lo- I love, I miss it a lot. So did you, how was it being an American in Germany at that time? Did you miss home? Did you have some homesickness? We missed home, but it was so much fun. Um, we were able to, we made some really good friends in Germany and mm-hmm. um, they're still, consider them still my family and, you know, try to see them as much as we can. Um, we've traveled back to Germany twice since then. And um, with kids, without kids, with kids, we wanted to show them our old life. Um, We lived in downtown Stuttgart and uh, got to just travel around Germany. And and we met some wonderful people. And it was amazing. Isn't Stuttgart like the capital of a motor company? There are a lot of cars out there, um, like Mercedes, Mercedes Benz is out there, Porsche, like Germany is very much um, about cars. They love their cars. (laughs) So when you got this opportunity to move to Germany, did you guys just kind of say, let's go? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm used to, I've, I've, another thing you probably didn't know about me. Um, I was actually born in Brazil and I grew up in Brazil for, uh, nine and a half, 10 years. So I'm used to living all over the world. So this was just another, uh, experience that we wanted to have. That's incredible. I yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. So tell me a little bit about growing up and kind of what led you to law school. Yeah, so got interrupted with the Germany comment, but um, <laughs> so I, I had my engineering background, went to product ma- marketing, and what I really wanted to do, and I knew even from um, in, in college that I wanted to go into the legal career, but just life was happening. I had great opportunities working in Germany and other places. Eventually, um, after I had kids, um, I stayed at home for about a year and a half with the kids, Um, got to enjoy being a stay-at-home mom, which is by far one of the hardest jobs I have ever had. No clocking out There's no clocking out, and it's really, it's just hard emotionally and um, physically and uh, Mm -hmm. but it was very much rewarding and I'm really glad I did Um, but when I was thinking about what do I want to do you know when do I want to go back to work um, I decided that it was time if I ever wanted to pursue a legal career that it was time to go to law school so when I started law school at CU Law my son was two years old and my daughter was four when I started law school. And I thought, I'm like, no problem. I got my MBA. I can get my, my JD. And (laughs) it was completely different. Um, (laughs) law school with kids is definitely more challenging. I mean, law school by itself is challenging, but add on two little toddlers and a husband who traveled. And that was, um, that was, that was difficult, but I'm glad I stuck with it. And you went to CU Law School, right? I went to CU Law School. And so that that wasn't like it was a nighttime program. It was like a full-time day I program. Tr- yes. I treated law school as, as my full-time job. Um, took my kids into uh, Montessori school in the morning. Um, there were days, and not very often, but there were days where I was the first one there and the last one to pick them up. And I felt so bad and so guilty you know, we all have that, oh my goodness, I'm not spending time with my kids. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness, I'm not studying enough for law school. Or, But it, it's what we had to do and the kids understood and um, they loved their Montessori school and their teachers. And it was, 
it, it worked and we we stuck with it well it sounds like you made it work <laughs> <laughs> you have to make things work yeah um that's sort of how it's been and it doesn't stop law school right like throughout the entire career and as you know very well being a parent is never ending but it's so rewarding in the end absolutely do you i don't recall you don't have family in the area right i do i have you a, do. my sister's in the area um but it's 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 always challenging you know we get busy but it's 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 nice having family nearby was that did they was that kind of um something that you could rely on while you were in law school to kind of balance things or not really not really at that point she you know we lived about an hour apart and uh -huh. she had her kids and her job mm -hmm. and managing that aspect of it as well so it is difficult when you don't have a reliable um backup solutions when when you have snow days or when kid gets yeah. sick um, and you just try to manage the best that you can as everybody has to deal with it and you just try to do your best and whatever you end up doing is your best and you just have to accept it and move on. I, I don't think I ever finished your question about um, law school. So I went ahead and went to law school and with my mechanical engineering background, I knew I wanted to do patent. Mm -hmm. And I ended up practicing as a patent litigator or IP litig in IP litigation um, for a number of years um, and uh, did that at two different law firms. And um, after that, decided to do the in-house route. So I went to work as a uh, IP transactional lawyer at Hewlett Packard Enterprise for a little bit until uh, I decided to do uh, public service and mm. went into and started my uh, my position at the attorney general's office. So it's been a whirlwind, uh, but I've enjoyed every experience that I've had and um, just so lucky to be part of the Colorado Denver legal community. So, and I know that as you're talking about your legal career and kind of giving us the highlights of, you know, big law and then in-house and then attorney general's office. I mean, those are three very different environments too, not just, you know, maybe your work balance look different or your work expectations look different, but those environments are completely different. How did you adjust between each one of those? Uh, you do the best you can. Um, I had good mentors and sponsors and, um, was got involved in APABA, um, actually in Nepalsa as a student, and then APABA after um, after graduation. Um, and technically, actually, I was involved in APABA as well because as law students, you can also be members of um, APABA. Mm -hmm. um, so I was involved in both APALSA and APABA since law school, and, and it helps, right? You you meet mentors, you meet f um, people who understand uh, what you go through and what it's like to practice as an Asian American woman. Um, and it's, it's, it's your support group in, in many ways. And then along the ways, I met really strong um, mentors that till today just still uh, love that mentorship and that relationship that I have built up with them. Um, so you rely a lot on mentors and, um, and the, the bar groups and associations. So I do want to talk a little bit about your time with APABA because you just are fresh off the heels of your presidency and obviously it was during a pandemic year. But what 
led you to want to take more leadership positions in APABA? Because I know that you were involved, but I feel like when you decide to take leadership positions, that's an, obviously taking it to another level. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's a decision that I made that I knew that was it was three years out, right? Because you go through the rotation mm-hmm. of becoming secretary, president-elect, and then president. And I wanted to... Uh, really try to make a difference and 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 give back to the community that um, that I've appreciated. Um, and it's been a tough year. Um, at any given year, it's tough at any given year, but this past year has been um, unprecedented in so many ways. Who would have thought I started my term last year almost about a year ago today. Um, it's having to decide to cancel the banquet, our annual banquet, the one that mm-hmm. many people love because it all it has amazing food. Um, but having to start the term canceling the banquet, which is also when we technically transition our leadership. So mm-hmm. last year we had to transition without the banquet. And then this year, again, we transitioned um, without a banquet, but we are planning a banquet for later on in, uh, in August, August 26th. Um, smaller hybrid type of banquet. Um, so we are planning on that. But, you know, starting the term with having to cancel the banquet and then having uh, the pandemic, as you mentioned, the right health crisis, the economic crisis, the racial justice crisis. Um, we also managed, uh, it was also during the, the 2020 election. Um, and then most recently, you know, ending my term on uh, with the Georgia shooting and then um, the Boulder shooting, which is right in my home community, which is really tough as well. Um, It's been definitely a challenging and tough year, but um, despite all of these challenges, um, I'm also hopeful because I saw our community rise uh, amidst all of these crises. Mm -hmm. Um, The members of APABA board, right, we all work together and we put so... We accomplished so much, and a lot of that goes to um, the leadership of uh, Deborah Yim from our community outreach mm-hmm. lead. Um, she, incredible, inc- another one of my favorite people as well, <laughs> and I think you know her as well. I do, actually. I met Deborah because she reached out to me during my presidency of APABA. She had recently relocated to Colorado from Los Angeles, and she was very involved in the LA APABA community and wanted to, to kind of get her feet wet and become involved. So I actually appointed her to be our Colorado Women's Bar Association liaison. And so she started being our CWBA APABA liaison. And she has just taken everything by storm. She's pretty incredible. She's an incredible woman for sure. But with a lot of um, her leadership, uh, we started a APABA CARES clinic, virtual clinic to help the community, especially amidst all of the pandemic crisis and all of the economic crisis. We put together um, a couple of different hate crime webinars, one in in partnership with the U.S. Attorney's Office, and then um, just another one recently. We did, oh, we did Feed the Senior over the summer, where we partnered up with a um, Save Vietnam and other local restaurants to provide a warm meal for seniors in, in our community. Um, we put together in 
collaboration with the other diversity bars, like a go vote video to encourage folks to go out and vote and make a difference. I saw that did video. You see that? I did. That was a lot of fun to make. And it, it was, was great because it also featured different languages. Yes. So that's something that we wanted to do. And we were able to get different APAPA members to put together the message in different languages. And that was really fun to do because not only that within APABA, but also working with all the diversity bar presidents and putting a message together. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, we collected gift baskets for, for refugee families in collaboration with the Asian Pacific Development Center. It's amazing how much we were able to do. Um, oh, just recently we had the state planning webinar and in association with that, the clinic in the state planning clinic that um, virtual clinic that we put together. Um, and then we recently, what's been um, really fun um, recently is we helped co-sponsor the, the recent um, town hall that we just had. And it's been fun seeing the Asian American community here in Colorado really form a coalition and work together to address some of the very disturbing um, realities that we're facing right now with the increase in hate crimes against Asians. And it's been so disturbing in many ways to know that our community is being faced with such hate crimes and and so much hate. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been really tough. And I know that you have two kids. You've mentioned that. How has this time with the Stop Asian Hate, the pandemic, racial justice has this affected your kids have how how have you guided them through this very i mean unprecedented time kids everywhere all over have been so resilient right not going uh, having virtual my kids have been doing virtual school until just a couple of weeks ago where they started going in part-time four days a week um, in person um, it's been really hard. It's it's hard not for them not to be able to see their friends as much. Um, it's hard uh, having to manage, you know, just being, it's so, how, how we can't even, as adults, we are having a hard time processing everything mm-hmm. that's going on. And it's even more amplified um, as kids. But, you know, we try to teach them to kind of one day at a time and make the best of it. And knowing that uh, they're building up resilience, which will help them in the long run. I think you're absolutely right that kids are very resilient. And sometimes they're better able to shift than adults are. And so I think that that's an important um, skill to have, but also the resiliency that you're talking about. But I do have to say that you have been incredibly resilient with all of the things that you've that have gone on this past year during the pandemic and having to shift gears and having to manage and not being able to have that time because you were a leader in our community to sit back and reflect and take a breath and process things. So how do you keep going? One day at a time. (laughs) Still one day at a time. Uh, Same message, um, same lesson that I, you know, tell kids or anyone else is you have to do your best and you take it one day at a time because you never know you never know so the best and and you can't feel bad and I'm a I do this a lot right I'm always thinking I'm not working hard enough I'm not being a good mom I'm not being a good wife I'm not but you just have to put all of that aside and say I am doing the best I can every single day 
and I will get up in the morning and do the best I can today, um, given the circumstances. Think, you know, processing the emotions and some days are harder than others, but you have to have um, hope that things will get better and um, and you just push and and take it easy. And um, when you need to, you have to you have to give yourself grace and you have to give others grace because everyone might, you, you don't know where people are at and where, how they're feeling. And, um, you just have to think back and say, I'm doing the best I can. And it's the best that I can do today. So I would have to say on that, uh, for example, after the Georgia shooting, I mean, that was obviously a really big event that impacted the Asian American community significantly. Absolutely. And I would say personally for me, when that happened, I checked out. I felt so tired. Tired. And so and distraught. Angry. Yes. And I couldn't sleep. I didn't eat much. I was just dealing with a lot of emotions from that shooting. And I know that you didn't have that same ability to check out. You had to mobilize. You had to keep going, right? Because you were the leader of a very, you know, big organization of the community that this shooting directly impacted. Mm -hmm. Have you since then been able to kind of take a breath and reflect and maybe take a step back? Yes. Um, and I completely, I completely agree, right? After that happened, it was difficult. It was you know, I was angry and I wanted to check out as well. And um, it's just so difficult to process and understand why it's it, the, the, the hatred and um, it's been hard to process everything. But in some ways, right, I don't think um, this sort of racism against Asians is brand new that just started. It's mm -hmm. something that's been we've all we all have our stories. We've all experienced stories of racism in different ways, right? I mean, I've had folks who, um, one story is I, I had somebody, you know, it was, I'm meeting a friend's neighbor, um, and, and my friend said, oh, this is my friend, Anne. And this person looks at me kind of very quizzical and says, Anne? And I'm like, yes you don't look like an Anne. And I'm like, well, what does an Anne look like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, but like, that, that's just little, there's some, a lot of, um, and, and there are pro many other stories like that that we've all experienced. And these are little microaggressions that maybe individually by themselves don't really, may not seem like a big deal. And, you know, we're kind of trained to kind of just move on and put our heads down. But if there is any positive aspect of what's happened is seeing the community really rise up, um, seeing the um, rise up, form a coalition and be outspoken and not just put our heads down. And, you know, whether it's um, putting together a rally, a march or um, mm -hmm. addressing the issue or, you know, whether it's putting together these bystander trainings that are like a pub is putting together one. Um, on May 18th, um, uh, Hollaback is going to do the bystander training for the community here. And um, but you you can't just one thing that I think people are learning now is that you can't just put your head down and pretend it didn't happen because it is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really important thing to touch on, too, is, you know, 
becoming not just a bystander, but an upstander, right? Somebody who actively um, takes actions to combat racism. And it's interesting that it's honestly, it's a little interesting that it's taken this long for us to get here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because we talk about all of the historical events that we've had, not just in American history, but, you know, world history, even the Holocaust, things like that, and people who were, you know, bystanders. And we kind of know the premise that we should be speaking up, we should be saying things. But it's also hard when you have this, you know, herd mentality type of a thing. And I know that at least for me, that was prevalent a lot when I was growing up, where kids would just kind of herd together. And sometimes it was an active form of racism, other times it was a microaggression. But certainly in every single instance, it was very clear that I was an other, right? Like I was an outsider. And so my question to you is, did you also experience those type of aggressions when you were growing up? And if so, did that also contribute to maybe your involvement in APABA or you wanting to be a lawyer? Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, we, I think we all, as I think I mentioned earlier, I think most, we all have experienced different forms of racism or, or um, felt like we were the other um, growing up, whether it's, you know, growing up where people will like, pull their eyes when they see you or they mm-hmm. say different phrases at you um, or they make assumptions or they it's, it's something that in some ways like I it's just part of I have to it's unfortunate but I sort of I, I understand it's part of who I am and this is part of what I'm going to experience whether it's right or wrong but it's it's frustrating and it's hard and and I think it does motivate you to try to make it better so that others don't have to feel what you felt or what I felt growing up. Um, it, it's definitely I, I mean I, I'm I'm after, I mean despite all of this I'm I, I'm really hopeful that I, I try to be an optimist in that regards that I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that um, we will get to a better place where I don't have to be feel uncomfortable walking outside you know I'm always looking around making sure I'm I'm always cautious of where I'm at and looking around and making sure there's no one behind me or Mm -hmm. um, if I'm walking around in a store I'm always looking around and making sure that no one's going to come and attack me or or it's just something that it's always in the back of my mind that I'm I'm concerned about it's like oh well am I gonna how am I gonna feel in this place am I gonna is it gonna do I feel safe here or do I have to be aware or what can I do mm-hmm. um, and it's always in the back of my mind that I just have to be cautious it's unfortunate but I think it's how I deal with and process some of what's going on and I know that you also mentioned um, like the community coming together during this time and I think what you're referring to is not just the legal community but the APA community the um all of the different uh, organizations and resources just kind of banding together and forming what you said, a coalition. What has that looked like? So it's fun seeing all the different APA community members standing up and helping each other and providing support for each other, whether it be the town hall that um, there's been 
the uh, two actually there's um, that since the Georgia shooting, um, but it's also being there and supporting each other um, and helping each other kind of um, be active and take action, whether it be preventative actions um, or educational um, uh, or even encouraging reporting, right? That's one of the things that we, that as a community, we know that there's probably, there's probably has been a lot more hate incidents than there are, uh, Mm -hmm. than we know about because a lot of times people don't report for various reasons, whether it's cultural or or fear um, or just lack of knowledge of having to report um or shame or shame too as well you're absolutely right um and we have to overcome that because oftentimes if we're not if there's no data if we're not reporting that there's no data then people don't think it's an issue Mm -hmm. so reporting is so important and i know um, um apdc is Putting, has a, report, a reporting um, form for Colorado to helping collect the data. So APDC, I think, is a pretty um, frequent partner for APABA Colorado. How has that bond strengthened over the past year? Like you said, we've always had a good relationship and partnership. And um, Harry, the executive director, is an APABA board member, and we work closely with him. This year we had the um, we collected gift baskets for refugee families and we coordinated that with APDC mm-hmm. and they're such an important members of our community and we we collaborate with them and we help them as much as we can. And I feel like APDC in general is just such um, it's it's boots on the ground more mm-hmm. or less. They're the people who are in our community who are touching all of the communities, all of the immigrants, all of the refugees, um, and providing resources for them to become more comfortable in our community. And as you mentioned, Harry is a current board member of APABA. He is also a former practicing attorney. And so I feel like Harry in and of himself mm-hmm. has been a force as well. Absolutely. And Harry um, helped lead and coordinate the recent response to uh, the Villager April Fool's article that was filled with um, racism. And um, and he helped lead the effort to um, encourage, for example, advertisers to boycott subs- uh, subscribers to stop subscribing or write letters in support. Um, and it's been an amazing effort seen the amount of support that um, that we've had in addressing that incident. And I also kind of want to talk about support from the legal community, too, because I feel like, like, for example, the CBNDBA have always been supporters of APABA. But I feel like over the past year, with everything that's been going on, they've upped the ante, more or less. They've um, really showed up. Is that your experience? Absolutely. The CBA, Jessica Brown, has been super supportive of APABA, as well as every single bar associations. Um, the The day of the shooting, I had pretty much almost every single uh, diversity bar reach out asking what they can do, how they can help, how can they support APABA. And it's been so um, it's been so nice to see the community standing up for each other and reaching out during um, that difficult time. And when you talked about the town hall earlier, who was involved with that town hall? 
Um, the town hall was uh, put together by Core DEI, and it was incredible to see the amount of support that of people who wanted to be there, who wanted to be our um, our allies. APABA was one of the supporting organizations, but there were many different organizations who supported the town hall. Um, the attendance was incredible. We had um, Mayor Hancock attend. We had the Attorney General Phil Weiser attend as well. Um, just to see the support of the community um, in wanting to become our allies and wanting to know how they could help during such a difficult time was um, was incredible. So what's next? What's next for APABA? So we've had a couple of town halls. We've, I, I mean, a laundry list of just amazing events that you've talked about that you've mentioned um, over the past year. Is APABA slowing down anytime soon? <laughs> just the opposite. I think we're ramping up. And I am so confident that uh, our now current president, Clark A., with um, Blake Gansberg and Deborah Yim, will take this board forward and just really ramp up. Uh, What we accomplished last year was just the beginning, and I think there's so much more to accomplish. Um, As I mentioned, we have the Hollaback Bystander Training coming Mm -hmm. up uh, May 18th. Um, And part of the May Heritage Month, we're also uh, putting together different events, such as supporting um, API businesses, like with takeout weekends. Oh, nice. We're doing the photo projects where we're highlighting uh, various members of our organization. Um, we're putting together an API judges reception to really um, celebrate our um, API judges and um, and collaborating and having the law students also get to meet some of our judges and interact with our members. Um, there's so much more work that has to be done around prevention, education, reporting, um, and supporting our members during this tough time. Um, one of the one of the another thing that's come out of this is um, we've been. We've increased our social media presence as well on Facebook mm-hmm. um, of Papa Colorado. And we um, highly encourage, this is a plug to follow our Apaba Facebook, Apaba Colorado Facebook page. We put up-to-date information on all the events and activities that we have planned coming up. Um, so I encourage you to follow that so that you know, uh, you know what's coming up. And one of the things that I love too about that Apaba Facebook page is that it's not just APABA events, right? You're also Mm -hmm. amplifying and taking the opportunity to amplify other events that are happening within our community. Absolutely. And um, Stephanie McConkie, she's been amazing putting together our Facebook page. um, And she has really stepped it forward and ramped that our social media presence. And we we um, our Facebook post, as you mentioned, is more than just APABA events. It's what's going on across our community. Uh, both legal community and extended community as well. Well, Anne, we are winding down on time, but I so appreciate you taking the time to be here, to sit six feet away from me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great to see your full face, including the bottom half of your face. And really, though, thank you for all the time, the effort, the energy that you've put into a Papa Colorado that you've you know, held that torch and really kept the ball rolling during this time because not only was it important, but I'm sure that it was also exhausting and tiring. And thank you to your family as well for allowing you to to be a leader for us during this time. Well, thank you so much for having me here. And I could not have done it without the amazing APABA board members that 
worked tirelessly um, making ramping up our efforts and making um, making Apaba what it is and allowing me to be the leader during such a difficult and unprecedented times but thank you so much for inviting me loved I love spending time with you and chatting with you I I mean the same <laughs> we, we <laughs> should do it more often once this pandemic is over absolutely <laughs> Special thanks to the Colorado Bar Association and the Denver Bar Association for supporting, promoting, and amplifying these voices in honor of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. My name is Nicole Sparaza, and thanks again for tuning in.